0: Amen. Great to be able to worship God together. Thanks, Timothy, for the communion and all the singing. We do want to welcome uh, Jared's families here now from the Philippines. Yeah. Joy, and if you could, and stand up. And your and your daughter. Where's she? Uh, stand up. And if, and everybody could stand up just so we can see the whole family. Okay, okay. Sophia. Sophia. Okay, there she is. That was awesome. Great to have you here. It's always a challenge, but amen. If you didn't know, Friday night we saw Brad Nichols get baptized. That was really cool. This weekend, his dad Alan and Brad are away for the weekend, so that's that's exciting. Spending some father and son time, that's very cool. And then today, of course, we're going to have Rail get baptized. That's awesome. Very very exciting. I'm sure Carol is excited, but both of those baptisms are are community conversions, really. So many people involved. Obviously, God is the the major architect behind all that, but really cool to see the church really rally around both those and help both those become disciples. So praise God for that. And for me, it's a bit of a sad note. My, My mom leaves back to the U.S. today, so she'll head back to Virginia. And it's been great having her here, spending time with her, and she's... Uh, loved hanging out with the grandkids, and they've loved hanging out with you. We got to celebrate her birthday yesterday, which was very cool. She was here for the birthday week—my birthday, Megan's birthday, LaLisa's birthday, her birthday, and everybody's birthday. So it was it was really awesome. And so we'll miss—I'll miss, uh, miss you—and pray that God opens the door for her to return to the land of the long white cloud. That that'll be very cool. Before we before we talk about today's lesson, I do want to show you a brief video from. Chicago. When, when I went to Chicago, we talked about how our church as a global movement can move forward by faith. And they did a, a video to, to, to introduce what that looks like, a little bit of the discussion. And then this Wednesday at midweek, we'll talk more in detail about what our church is doing to move forward. But we'll take a few moments to look at this video and it describes a little bit of our, our bigger context and what's happening in the moment. So if we're going to cue this up. And the musical maestro, Petrus and Peter, Petrus and Peter back there. Here we go. Awesome, so we'll talk more in depth about that on Wednesday, and I was honored to go to the meeting and serve as a delegate for our part of the world, so if you do go to that website and you read through all of that material, and you have comments or questions or viewpoints that you really feel strongly about, make sure you talk with myself, because I get to have a voice for our part of the world, which is which is really exciting and also very humbling as well, but continue to pray for all of that, we'll talk more about that on Wednesday, amen? amen. All right, now let's turn over to John chapter 13 and have a short, not short, but have a lesson. I don't know why I said short. We'll have a lesson from the Gospel of John. But before we do so, I just want to take a quick poll. And maybe we could turn on the lights as well. That would be helpful. Oh, do they warm back up? Amen. So I just want to know how many of you have ever, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever lied? Yeah, and some of you are potentially lying right now, but... (laughs) All right, so fair enough, that pretty much covers all of us, but how many of you have ever thought too highly of yourself? Okay, some hands went up quicker than others. <laughs> now, those, we could do many of these polls, but that's two examples of many of humanity's flaws that we have deeply embedded. The Bible would call that sinful nature. Yeah. right? It, it's, it's everybody. And the Bible says that despite our best efforts, we can't change those aspects of our nature. And as an experiment, you, you may try to simply stop lying. For a year. And let me know how that goes. Or you may try to stop thinking too highly of yourself for a year. Those methods always rely on human effort, and they're always bound to fail. But in contrast, the Bible says that we need an outside source. To change those aspects of our sinful nature. And the Bible would say that the cross, Jesus offers that change, that we can be honest, we can be humble, and we can change through the cross. And so in short, that's that's the meaning of the passage today. That through the cross, we can actually change these parts of ourselves that are deeply embedded into our human character. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that. Let's pray and then read John 13 together. God, we are grateful for the the fellowship globally. We pray for your spirit to continue to move us forward in a faithful way. We also pray today that as we we read your words and we see Jesus in action, that we are humbled and we are called higher to be more like him as an individual, but also as a collective body and help us to really love one another as, as you set the example for us so that this this country may know we are your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Starting at verse 1 of John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The hour had come is often a phrase the author uses and It started at the very beginning when Jesus is at a uh, wedding in Cana and his mom says, we need you to do something. He says, my hour, the time has not yet come. God's plans won't be thwarted by anyone, but for now, the hour has come for him to be glorified. And in verse two, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter... Who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That's kind of a verdict right there. Okay, you don't want this? Then you have no part with me. Verse 9, Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. (laughs) He's fired up now. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. And I'm sure that cast an ominous tone over their nice little Passover meal. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. Teacher. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. There's the connection. It's not just about knowing things about Jesus and Christianity. It's about putting those things into action. In verse 18, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another. At a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them disciple who Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. This The, the scene, as we'll see, is kinda of, they're all laying down. And so Peter's kind of like, hey, go, go ahead, fi- find out. Like He's not going to ask Jesus himself, of course, but wants someone else to do it. In verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him, since Judas had charge of the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. Soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, it's funny, he doesn't ask him about that, but he asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And in chapter 13, it's an intense story. Jesus' public ministry has ended. He stopped preaching in the temple. He stopped preaching to the crowds. And in chapters 13 through 17, Jesus does 90% of the talking. And it's all directed at his disciples. And then in chapters 18 through 21, it's his arrest, his trial, his death, and his resurrection. But here in chapter 13, it's a meal, and Jesus is is setting an example for his disciples and for us to follow. And let's look at three points this morning that the Gospel of John has for us. The problem of deception, the problem of intoxicated thinking, and the power of love. The problem of deception... Firstly, during this meal, Jesus has this troubling announcement, right? He's with his close group, and he says, one of you guys is going to betray me. And in verse 21, that's when he makes that statement. And the response in verse 22 from the disciples is they, they just stare at one another. And you, have to, you have to picture this scene of, of they're, they're all at the table, they're reclining, they're enjoying this meal, and Jesus says, someone here among us will betray me. And and they just kind of look at each other, stunned. And, and what does that tell us? That, that tells us they have no idea it's Judas. They have no idea. There's nothing that they know about Judas, there's nothing they've experienced about Judas that indicates he would betray them. Which is... Very insightful because we, as, as observers from the whole Bible, we kind of get the big picture. And we can kind of see the whole setting. And so earlier in John chapter 12, there is something interesting. There's Mary is anointing Jesus and Judas gets upset. And, and he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. The keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself. To what was put into it. So this wasn't a one-off thing for Judas. He had a habit of taking money. And no one knew about it. And he cloaks it in religious language. Oh, we should use this money for the poor. Why didn't his closest group of friends know about this? Why? He never talked about it. He never said, hey guys, you know what? As keeper of the money, there are times where I feel like I could take a little bit and no one would know. Can you help me out? Can you pray for me? Can you keep me accountable? He could have said that. He could have said that at the initial phase or at some phase when he had actually taken money. He could have said, hey Peter, hey James, hey John, hey you know what? I've been really tempted lately and I actually took some of the money and I need to figure out what to do now. But they had no idea about what was going on in his life. Now, we can see deceit very clearly in the life of Judas. But we also need to see it very clearly in our own lives. Because you can try harder to be honest, but it's not going to work. You have to be cleansed from the cross to be honest. Now, in 1991... This is a a picture of a marathon runner, and his name is Abbas Tehemi. And he came in first at the marathon in Brussels. He was wearing number 50. Now, after the celebration and the applause, the organizer of the race noticed that this guy, number 50, who crossed the finish line, did not have a mustache. (laughs) And the reason that was so important is the runner, number 50, who began the marathon, had a mustache, (laughs) like Chris. So, the runner who started the race was actually this guy's coach, with a mustache. Seven miles into the race, dips off into the woods, takes off number 50, Gives it to Abbas Tahami, who does not have a mustache. Tahami comes in, finishes the race first. A pretty sweet deception until the keen eye of the organizer says, This guy does not have a mustache. This was a pretty close shave. <laughs> it's a true story, by the way. That it is true. But the crazy thing is, he thought he could get away with this deception. Mustache, no mustache. What was he thinking? But if if you see this from a, a godly, biblical perspective, that's what we look like when we try to deceive. It's like, come on, God sees right through the ruse. He sees into the depths of our heart. He knows what's going on. And the crazy thing is, we think we can just paint a mustache on and it's all good. It's not all good. There's a problem with deception. But what does this look like in our lives? Well, if if you're seeking God, and if you want to know God, you can't do it with a mustache. No, that's not what it means. It means the only way you can really overcome... Deception is in all of us, okay? And we've agreed to that by the poll. But the only way you can overcome that is by being washed by Jesus. You can't try harder. You can't knuckle up and just be more honest. You have to be cleansed in order to be more honest. It's no secret. You have secrets. That's human nature. But only Jesus can help us become more honest. And if you're a disciple, you've been cleansed to leave this kind of lifestyle behind. Praise God for that, right? But the reality is, if Jesus had guys that were deceptive in his group, there's going to be people that are deceptive in the church. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but it's just true. And Judas covered up his deceit with religious sounding language. We could have kept this money and sold it to the poor. Meanwhile, he's stealing it. And so we have to be careful as disciples because that's the type of person Satan targets. This, it said the devil prompted Judas... Why? He knew Judas wasn't going to talk about anything. And at the right moment, Satan entered him. And so we have to be careful with, if, if we have, which we all have, patterns of deception. But if you live a lifestyle of deceit, you better guarantee Satan is targeting you to eventually walk away from Jesus. Okay. Come on. There is a problem with deception. And you may think, I'm talking about you. No, I'm talking about human nature. Yeah. You're paranoid because you're deceitful. <laughs> That's what's going on. You know, how, how would this be, be, be practical to, today? I'm talking about today when the, when the lesson is over and the fellowship starts. If you're seeking God or if you're a disciple, pull somebody aside and get open. Yeah today. Make that happen. What would it mean? Maybe you have a relationship no one knows about. Pull somebody aside and say, I gotta be open. I got to talk about this. Maybe you have an addictive habit. You're scared to confess. Pull somebody aside and say, I got to talk about what's going on in my life. Maybe there's a thought pattern that's been happening in your life that you're too afraid to talk about. Pull someone aside and say, I don't know what this sounds like to you, but let me just get it out there. There's something going on. Or maybe you have reoccurring thoughts about a person at church or reoccurring thoughts about church itself you're not dealing with. Pull somebody aside today and say, I don't know how this sounds to you, but I just got to get this out there. Maybe you have doubts or concerns or questions about faith or God or the Bible or church. Pull someone aside today because there is a problem with deception. But the only way we can overcome it is by the blood of Jesus. And and as parents oh man, we have to be hard line when our kids are deceitful. Because those are the type of people Satan targets. People who live lifestyles of deception. Eventually, they turn away from Jesus. However, we can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Secondly, the problem of intoxicated thinking. Now, thanks to Peter, in this passage, we have examples of what not to do. And often often in the Gospels, he gives us those good examples. But twice in this passage, he has a bit of intoxicated thinking where he thinks a little bit too highly of himself, perhaps. In verse 7... When Jesus starts to perform this this washing of the disciples' feet, he gets to Simon Peter. And Peter says, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus tells him point blank, you don't understand what I'm going to do right now. But you will later. So let me do what I came to do. In other words, let me just do it. You don't understand right now. Let me make that clear. You don't understand. All right? But then Peter, in verse 8... Well, maybe I do understand. No, 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 Lord. Don't just wash my feet. You're never going to wash my feet. Maybe I do understand, Jesus. Even though you just said, I don't understand what you told me. And then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter goes on to say, no, no, not not just my feet. I think I understand what's going on here. Even though you said that I wouldn't understand it. Not just my feet. My hands, my head, everything. Right. And it's comical. But we see a little bit of the way Peter thinks. And we see a little bit of the way we all think at times. We get a bit intoxicated in our thinking. In verse 37, there's a similar response from Peter. Jesus is saying, hey, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Indicating the death that he's going to die. And then Peter, of course, says, Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Now we appreciate his enthusiasm and his loyalty and his commitment to Jesus, but we also have to be convicted that he's way intoxicated in his thinking right now. I will lay down my life for you. A few hours later, do you know Jesus? Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Do you know him? Don't know the man. Do you know him? I swear I don't know the man. And that's why Jesus says, Really, Peter? Really? really are you going to lay down your life for me and right. and, and we see this you know and, and it's and it's fascinating to study Peter's letters because there's a word that pops up 3 times in 1st Peter that is the exact opposite of this intoxicated thinking in 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 13 this is Peter writing to a church and look at the word he uses 3 times in his letter Chapter 1, verse 13, with minds that are alert and uh, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Chapter 4, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober so that you can pray. Chapter 5, verse 8, be alert and sober, minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. And that word is, is, is literally used to be, be free of wine. But he's not just talking about be, be off of wine. He's talking about the way you think. You know what? He said, hey, hey I used to be a bit fuzzy <laughs> in the way I thought. And I was a little bit intoxicated. I thought kind of highly of myself. And maybe I overestimated myself at times. But let me tell you what. I mean, I was sobered. Yeah. And you got to be sober. The most important thing is when Jesus comes back, you got to be sober so that you can pray. you got to be sober because Satan is coming for you. That's Peter's thoughts later. He said, hey, Jesus cleared up my fuzzy thinking. I was a bit intoxicated, but after the death, the burial, and the resurrection, I see with sobriety now. And praise God for that. We live in a culture that's intoxicated with our own opinions. And and too much so. This guy on Facebook has over 60,000 friends. That's First of all, it's ridiculous. But here is his comment when interviewed about his Facebook social profile. I sometimes spend hours thinking about what to post. Like, that is a serious waste of time, first of all. (laughs) Thinking about what my followers want, but also what I want them to think of me. So let me meditate for a few hours before I make a Facebook post. Because I want people to think so highly of me. You think, man, this, that's, that's ridiculous. That's a thumbs down. You don't get a like on that. But you think, what, what is wrong with this guy? He acts as though if he doesn't post on Facebook, the entire social network culture will collapse. Like, it's just, I just want people to think and I got to think about ours, and, and But it's, it's comical, but there there is this kind of over-intoxication in our culture with what we think. He thinks himself, thinks of himself too highly. And if you're not a Christian, God is aware of who you are, and God knows that at times you think of yourself too highly. He knows you think you think better than he does. And the only way you can really get out of that again is is what we'll get to this is Jesus cleansing you. You can't just try harder to be humble. It doesn't work. And when we do that, when we get over, overly intoxicated, we replace our thinking with with God. We replace God with our thinking, rather. And we think we know best, and we know how to do it, and, and this has application all across the board. If you're a young Christian, let me see if a young Christian five years and under... Just raise your hand if you're five years and under. This is awesome. Uh, Rael's about to raise his hand in a few, few minutes. <laughs> it's all right. Now, if you've been a, so l- l- let me just see it again. Five years and under as a Christian. Okay, it's good. Smaller percentage. Ten years and above as a Christian. So that there's more ten years and above than five years and under. So to the, to the younger, meaning five years and under, to the young. because as, as a young Christian, I, I was like this. Alright, and I want you to consider this. that is it possible that your own personal wisdom and your own personal opinions are greater than the collective wisdom of people who have been decades into faith and led by the Spirit, trial and error, and have learned a great deal about the Christian faith? Is it possible that your tiny little wisdom is a lot less than the collective group of many, right? Just to make that clear, it, it might be possible, right? It just might be possible, and and I think we got we got to understand that because there's a there's a tendency with young Christians, and I and I was like this. It can still be like this to say, I know how to handle this situation. I got it. I know what to do in this scenario. I'm led by the Spirit. I got the Bible. I don't need anyone else's perspective, even though the collective wisdom of everyone in this church is way greater than my own little... Body wisdom, right? And that's just let's just keep it real like that, okay? Because that, that, that's what it is. Or I don't need any advice because my wisdom is so superior and insightful. And no, you're way too intoxicated with your own thinking. And the only way you could be humble is is to be cleansed by Jesus. But but the practical is, hey, let, let me let me listen and embrace other people's opinions and views, and let me dialogue and create conversation instead of just saying nope, nope. I've got it all down. I've got to figure it figured out. For older Christians, praise God that we've learned more now than when we were first Christians. Praise God for that. At the same time, we still have to leave room for God to refine our thinking. We have to leave room for God to reshape our thinking. And at times, we have to leave room for God to reboot our thinking. Because we can get too intoxicated. We need to listen to other people. And we need to hear other people. And we need to hear their point of view and think about it, meditate on it and before we just jump to a conclusion form an argument and spit back a response we need to leave room for God to help us. At the end of the day, God cares less about your well thought out articulated point of view and He cares more about are you going to trust and obey? That's what God is concerned with. Will we listen to Him and His people? Only God can provide us true sobriety though from that type of thinking. Lastly, this morning, the power of love. So this is where it all comes together. The first two points are all about our problem. And the only solution is the power of love. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is introduced in the first few chapters as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the entire gospel is leading up to this moment where Jesus does that. And that's the whole theme of the hour has not come yet. I know you want me to, but the hour has not come yet. The hour has not come. Now the hour is here. And the setting. John doesn't do this by accident. In verse 1, it's the Passover festival. Where the Passover lamb will be slaughtered. So here's Jesus, all this imagery combining into one, lambs are being slaughtered, soon Jesus will be slaughtered for the sins of many. And here at this meal, Jesus gives an outrageous example of servanthood and love. This is what it looked like in ancient times when they would have reclined at the table. Chris and I were trying to practice this out in the lobby this morning as they had the table set up. And we leaned against each other and a client. No, we didn't, but it would have been awesome. We tried. But they would have leaned on their left elbow and eaten with their right hand. So we don't exactly know who sat where and how it all worked out, but Judas would have had to have been pretty close to Jesus for Jesus to dip bread into the dish and give it to Judas. This is a very intimate setting here. And, and as, as this is all taking place, at some point Jesus gets up from this and does slave, basically slave labor. Yeah. And he, his outer garments, he takes them off, he'll write, wrap the towel around his waist, and then he'll come around. And the interesting part about this position is if you're leaning up against the table, you're looking kind of at each other. The, the inside here is you can actually ignore Jesus. Because yeah. he's at your feet. And so he, he's doing this task that he could potentially be ignored And so he's stooping down as a servant, washing their feet, and then he asks them, after he does that, he he, he reassumes the role of teacher in verse 12. So he washes their feet, and then in verse 12 he says, do you understand what I've just done? Do you understand what's just taken place? Because it's so essential for you guys to understand this power of love that I'm demonstrating right here, right now. Do you understand it? I don't want you just to repeat what happened. Jesus washed our feet. I want you to know. I want you to understand what's happening right now. I want you to understand it. Especially toward Judas. This is an extreme amount of love. In verse 3 it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power. He had come from God and was returning to God. Now I find that an interesting verse because after that I would expect in my, in my mind I would continue to read verse 4 such, something like this since Jesus had all the power in verse 4 he got up stood up and said Judas openly confess your evil plot I know what you're doing I know what you plan to do and I want everyone at the table to know about it doesn't do any of that doesn't do anything. I find that an insane, loving act. I would have publicly exposed him in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. And 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 Oh man, and then he, he, the symbolic of dipping the bread is, I'm going to break my body for you. He dips the bread and then he gives it to Judas almost as if this this is your last chance. I'm going to break my body for you. I love you, Judas. And Judas takes it. He doesn't Change he goes away, and I find the patience and love of Jesus just too grand, too profound, too deep. My love is so so slim compared to Jesus. But the power of love is what changed these disciples' lives. To Judas at this meal, he says, You know what? I'm not going to expose you, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to die. For everyone, And then he says later on in these verses, verse 14 and 15, and then later in verse 34, you know, I, I, th- this is an example. You have to do this too. You have to serve people. You have to love people. Even though I'm your master and I'm your teacher, I've done this. I've loved you. This is the power of love. Because the human condition is so severe, only the power of love can solve it. Only the power of love can solve it. it. You know, there's an interesting new update on the iPhone. It, this isn't an iPhone plug or whatever, but in the, in the new update, when you're driving now, it has a message that says something like, you will not receive notifications while you are driving. And so if you text me, or if I try to text you while I'm driving, that notification pops up and I can't do it. I have to like deliberately get out of it. And so I never know if you text me while I'm driving until I get to my destination because of this new feature, which is pretty cool. And so, because it's a big deal, texting, texting and driving. There's, there's laws that talk about don't text and drive. They've studied these laws. And they've realized the, increase, the increasing nature of the law doesn't reduce traffic accidents. As the laws increase, guess what happens? The phones go lower in the car. <laughs> that's just true. Yeah. And when the phone gets lower, it's harder to drive. Yeah. So there's this phenomenon that's happening. And, and so initially their tactics were kind of like, hey, don't text and drive. If, if you've seen some of the advertisements for this kind of stuff. They're, they're a bit soft initially when they first start. And, and now they've really ramped up their tactics. I looked at the New Zealand transportation website and, and consider this video. It's just a snapshot of the video. We won't watch the video. But here is a, a snapshot of a video on the New Zealand transportation website telling you not to text and drive. Now when I look at it, I think, oh, aren't those guys happy? Look at them driving along, nice little cars. Looks nice. I mean, that doesn't scare me. That just says, oh, that looks kind of cool. That's kind of neat, right? Those did not work. So they started coming out with harder advertisements. Don't text and drive. This is a, bo- this is a body in the morgue. Now, that's it. Whoa. I better, not, I better not do that. Right? And, and even still, it continues. But the, the, the interesting thing about this is, you know, the human nature, you can't just say, hey, stop being bad, stop lying, stop thinking too high of yourself. It doesn't work. There had to be something drastic to change us. There had to be something costly to offer us change. And so when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, this is this advertisement. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to do something costly and drastic because there's no other way you can change. If there would have been, God would have done it. He wouldn't have slaughtered his son. He would have done it some other way. You know, we can think, oh, just don't, you know, it's similar to this idea. Jesus dying for us gives us the opportunity to change. And it's the only thing that will change us. For, 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 for all of us, simply calling people in a lost world to say, hey, you better, you better follow Jesus. You better listen to Jesus. You better study the Bible. You better go to church. That doesn't work. That does not work. But imitating this love of Jesus, that's the power of love. That's what actually changes people's lives. Calling others in the fellowship to, hey, just, just be good, just try hard, just be spiritual. It doesn't work. But when they see the power of love that we see in Jesus and we mirror that and we duplicate that, that's what changes lives. When a lost world sees you and me, Despite all of our conflicts, despite all of our flaws, despite all of our shortcomings, despite all of our sin, our differences of opinion, our different backgrounds, our different cultures, our different races, etc. When the world sees that and we still love each other and we still get together and we work through stuff, when the world sees that, it does something. Man, something must have changed them. And And it had to be a powerful example of love. When a lost world sees you and me following this example of Jesus, as he bends down, as he washes the feet of his disciples, as he says, if you follow this, the whole world will know you're my disciples. That is the power of love. Now, we've all lied in conclusion. We've all thought too highly of ourselves and a whole list of other wicked, evil things we've done, right? The human condition cannot be fixed by trying harder. It simply cannot. Only a costly demonstration of love solves the problem. The Gospel of John says Jesus is the answer. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He frees us from our deceit. He frees us from our intoxicated thinking and all other sin. Pull somebody aside today. Get Open. Have fellowship today where you create dialogue and you actually listen and hear with someone. Love one another as Jesus has loved you so this world may know that we are his disciples. Amen.